Welcome to the 52 Pearls Weekly Money Wisdom Podcast. I'm Melissa Joy, a certified financial planner and founder of Pearl Planning. And I'm Melissa Friedenberg, financial advisor with Pearl Planning. Pearl Planning is a financial planning and investment management company located in Dexter and Gross Point, Michigan. We work with clients all around the country. The purpose of our podcast is to explore specific financial topics and provide advice you can use in your everyday life. Welcome to the 52 Pearls Weekly Money Wisdom Podcast. It's Melissa Joy here this week, and I am so pleased to be joined by Rachel Elson. Rachel is an associate financial planner at Paragon Wealth Management in San Francisco. In her previous career, she was the number two editor at Money Magazine, and prior to that, editor-in-chief of financial planning. Rachel, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Well, I have to say that we both have different roles than when we met. We met because I believe you interviewed me and I wrote, did some writing work for you at Financial Planning Magazine. You were a journalist and I really focused on investment research at the time. Yeah, <laughs> totally different times, but um, I'm so glad to have found a friendship in those conversations. And here we are today with a really, I think, interesting and important topic. We're talking about equity compensation. So stock options, RSUs, preferred shares, how you get paid with things other than cash when you work at companies. So it's relevant for you because you are in kind of the heart of the equity compensation world on the West Coast in San Francisco. Tell me a little bit about the clients you work for, because I think this is in your, you know, kind of comfort zone. Yeah, so our clients tend to be a little bit younger, maybe, than the average financial planning practice. Um, Most of our clients are either still working or have just retired or about to retire. We have a lot of 30-somethings, 40-somethings, and for... I would say the majority, certainly the majority of new clients coming in and probably the majority of the firm in general, we have a lot of, um, we have a lot of people who are either working in technology, either both partners are working in tech or one is and fairly highly compensated people. So it's interesting because I'm located in Michigan. It's a place where there are some employees that receive equity options. And actually, Ann Arbor is a little bit of a a startup hotbed, especially for earlier ventures. But um, I also happen to have kind of my second highest concentration geographically is the West Coast. So um, happen to have worked with some of those types of clients as well. I think it's really fun, but there's a lot of good, challenging financial planning work. What do you find that um, people who are receiving equity compensation are talking to you about? Like, what type of work are you doing with them? So a lot of them, because they are 30-somethings, 40-somethings, the equity comp is a piece of it, and that might be why they come and see us. But it's actually, you know, people come to see a financial planner when they're at an inflection point, right? There's some new factor in their life that they cannot, that they feel like they need help with. And that could be a divorce, that could be, you know, I'm nearing retirement and I want to figure that out. Well, people in their 30s and 40s have a lot of inflection points, right? They have possibly new marriages where they're combining finances and you might have two highly compensated individuals who are 
joining and, you know, trying to figure out what's an equitable thing. They might be having kids. They might be trying to buy a house in a very expensive part of the world. They might be considering a vacation house. And it's not like New York where you could have like a primary place in Brooklyn or in Manhattan might be more expensive, but you can get a cheap place in the Catskills. You go up to Tahoe or to Sonoma and you're still looking at, you know, a million dollars to get a condo. A lot of the same questions that other people in their sort of life phase have. You know, we work with them in all the pieces of that. Yeah, it's true for any client, but especially these types of clients. I think sometimes they pick up the phone because it is an inflection point or they've just had a tax shock or, you know, they're like, okay, I should start thinking about retirement. I, I know I'm doing okay, I think, but I'm not sure how okay. And then, you know, the reality is for both of our firms is we're comprehensive financial planners. So certainly we're going to cover those areas, but there is so much more that can either be an opportunity or a challenge that can be overcome um, when it comes to those other conversations. And what are your, what, what does this money mean to you, et cetera? There, I'm surprised at how many people come to us and they sort of lay out, you know, they bare their souls, they lay out everything. And then they say, are, are we doing okay? Like a lot of them just want to hear, you know, is this okay? How do we compare? And, you know, they're all, most of them, if they're coming to us, it's because they're taking money seriously, right? So a lot of them are, uh, have done very, very good work for themselves. Um, but it's, it's sometimes startling to me how, how pressing that question feels. It is a source of anxiety before people know. And mm-hmm. then, it's true. There's no external benchmark and many people's external benchmarks are things or, you know, social signals. And so that is one of the most powerful things about financial planning is the ability to encourage people in the things that they're doing well. And, you know, there's always opportunities too that you uncover. Somebody may be a wizard at stocks and, you know, they're doing just fine, but have no concept of, you know, how to title their accounts or work into an estate plan or a variety of other things. Their, their cash flow may be a mess. So that is one of the things that I love most about financial planning is the ability to, to help. So I want to get specific with equity compensation. First of all, what is, for those that are listening that are just trying to educate themselves, what is equity compensation? So what it is, um, is for a client who works for, and the majority of our clients in the tech industry are working at sort of the big established names that you have heard of. They're public companies. Most of them get um, one of two forms of compensation. A lot of them get something called restricted stock units, which is basically you're just getting shares of the company. Um, and as they vest, they become shares. And you right. get so just to, just to pause, the, you would get shares and there's a certain date or schedule where you, you are, have access to knowing that you will be getting them on a certain day. And typically, maybe a year later, um, you get your first tranche and it's, it's two, three, four years that yes. over time that you, they vest. And they might vest quarterly and they might vest monthly. And there is a sort of a dribbling out of that. And as it comes to you, it's basically just income. It's income that you pay taxes on, which is why, as you mentioned, a lot of people have a a tax surprise or a tax hit if they have changed jobs um, and started getting this equity compensation. Um, 
And that will sort of come out over periods of time and then they get repeat uh, grants over time. So you start layering those on top of each other. Um, they're, you know, equity compensation is very much golden handcuffs because it's aimed at keeping you at a company for a longer period of time. And that's what those vesting schedules are about. Um, in addition to that, some of our clients get something called non-qualified stock options. And those are basically the option to buy a certain number of shares at a certain number of price, a certain price. Um, and the assumption is that the market price will go up. And again, those also tend to vest over a schedule and they're allowing you to benefit from having stayed at a company over a long period of time while the stock has been rising. Um, and and I, I think it's worth mentioning that sometimes you have a vesting schedule, but in, the, in those cases, there's also a number of years that you have the option to choose to yes. exercise those shares. So the RSUs, in some cases, I have some employees who can choose between RSUs and non-qualified stock options. They might get more of the non-qualified stock options than they would get of the RSUs because mm -hmm. of, you know, different um, kind of incentives. And, um, you know, the, the stock options are sometimes a longer play than the RSUs are. Yes, because the RSUs, as soon as they come in, as soon as they vest, they're, they're basically part of your income. It's on your tax. You tax on them, and then and then you just have them as a holding. Uh, the options they vest at a certain point, and then they expire at a point sort of later on. And so it's your decision as to whether do you want to exercise them once they vest, and um, you're going to pay tax on the the discount and that price, and then hold on to that stock for a longer period of time, or do you want to hold off on exercising, um, and you don't you won't pay tax until you exercise but you start the, the long-term capital gains clock ticking later. Um, you know, there's a lot of, there's more decisions to be made around that. Yeah, I often think of, um, so it's a little more complicated, but first you need a paradigm. You kind of need a process or a paradigm about how you're going to approach your equity compensation. So, you know, you may say your plan and your process for the RSUs is to immediately sell them and either reinvest, pay the tax bill, go toward your financial goals, consider it part of your cash flow, um, or the plan may be that you want to hold them for a year. It may depend on how you think about the company. It may depend on how you think about your career at the company. So there's a lot of um, different options, but for either of these strategies, I love it when you kind of lay out in your financial planning meeting or in your investment policy, here's how I think of these and all things being equal, this is what my process will be when these mature. Yeah. And what we do is when you get the, the trading window open quarterly, yes. because a lot of people can't just trade their stocks at any point. If you're an employee, there are certain times when you can and cannot trade your stocks. So, you, so you've got these shares and your trading window is open. And what we'll do is we'll go through and sort of look at your whole portfolio and come back and say, you know, right now your equity comp is, we'll say 40% of your total portfolio wealth. And we think that is a danger. We think that's a mm -hmm. risk. You know something, it's now like 8% of your overall wealth. And we think that's a comfortable place. So if you want to hang on to it a little bit longer, here's where it is in the sort of 52 week and what the analysts are saying, we might say, oh, it's okay. So a lot of what drives us is sort of what's the percentage. Um, I am old enough to remember Enron <laughs> and the employees there basically got a double whammy because they First of all, they lost their jobs 
and they had worked for a company that was fairly tainted. It wasn't something that you wanted to put on your LinkedIn profile. I don't know if LinkedIn existed back then, but also um, <laughs> it wasn't something you wanted to brag about on your resume necessarily. And so much of their compensation had been in the company stock and that was worthless. So I always, um, you know, to me, that always shadows it. That's which, where you always want to think about like your, your compensation, your regular salary and bonus come from this company. You might have amazing benefits. Um, you might have great uh, survivor benefits, for example, uh, at Google are, are very attractive. Um, you might have great health care, all these things tied to your company. So now when you have all that tied to your company, how much of your other wealth do you want to have tied to your company? And so that's sort of something that we're very conscious of, and that probably drives a lot of our recommendations. Yeah, that, uh, that concentration builds over time. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, you are encouraged or incentivized to participate in other stock savings programs. Um, so an employee stock purchase plan or potentially having, um, it's less common nowadays because of the in runs of the world, but um, also exposure to your company and your retirement plan. Mm-hmm. So evaluating that concentration, evaluating your take on the stock. What if you are um, dual a household with two incomes in the same company or sector? Um, mm-hmm. That's certainly a consideration as well. So it's, it's not a black and white. There's no, there's at least for me, my preference is that there's not a particular formula, but I think that there's some um, extraordinary education and conversation that a financial planner can do with you as a conversation partner. And then additionally, I think that, um, you know, there, there's value to, you know, just not just thinking about what the wealth is on paper, about what is the purpose and, you know, layering in that tax, those tax consequences. Do you have any, what are the different suggestions? It's a little bit trickier when a company is not public because the valuation of that company may be more of a guesstimate or, you know, based on a recent raise or something like that and less liquid even than those um, 90 day windows. But that's certainly a consideration. And then there's also, you know, what happens when the company does go public where you have more liquidity. That's a big Mm -hmm. event or transition where people may be reaching out to financial planners. One of the things that I find useful is to sort of match up the availability of that, of that compensation, like how certain that compensation is. So if you come to me and you say, I have a a major remodel that we really need to do in order to live in this house soon, uh, it's got to happen in the next couple of years. And I also have a, I'd really like to get a vacation place. I'd like to be up in Sonoma a little bit more. And we have certain assets to work with now, and then we have the possibility of the upside coming later. And we sort of say, okay, so the remodel sounds like that's really the thing you've got to get done, right? Like you need to add that extra room, you need to add the den, whatever has to happen. Let's focus on a plan that assures that. And then maybe you can rent for a couple of years in Sonoma and wait to pull the trigger. So like the liquidity event um, becomes a, a trigger point at which you can make other decisions. It's almost like a flow chart point. And we can say, if that happens, and if it brings in X, fabulous, you know, buy the second house. And if it doesn't come in where you want it to, or it doesn't happen at all, you haven't taken too much of a risk. You haven't sort of spread yourself so thin financially that without that, you, you've put yourself in a precarious position. Prioritizing. Yeah, and the importance of consistent 
meaningful financial planning becomes really important because it can, um, you can develop a lifestyle that would not be, you would not be able to continue to sustain if there were changes in the general market environment. Um, it's been a while now since we've had a big pullback, especially, um, you know, technology in specifically. March. Yeah. Well, <laughs> for six weeks, but a, bit, a, a um, prolonged pullback <laughs> that went beyond, you know, kind of the windows where, where people couldn't trade. Um, but if there were a significant change, you need to do some scenario testing of how dependent are you and how much cash are you keeping on hand? How much cash do you have to pay estimates of taxes? All of those things. Yeah. I mean, I love a financial plan that has a couple of check-in points. At this point, if this has happened, we can do this. At this point, it hasn't happened. Okay, move to the next step. Absolutely. Another time that you need to be really careful about your equity compensation that you have received in the past is if you leave an employer. So oftentimes you have a certain period of time, perhaps 90 days in order mm -hmm. to exit um, or to vest options that are, are sitting there. And you may be leaving money that you really put, considered part of your balance sheet on the table. So it's important to know that in advance. And in some cases, you may be receiving um, options at the next company as kind of an incentive to join um, or a sweetener since there is that bitter taste of losing some comp that you, you know, in many ways feel you've earned. Um, so that's certainly another, you know, advanced planning area, I would say. Absolutely. And it's a negotiating point as right. you're considering other jobs. I mean, one of the things that we'll sometimes do for a client is really sort of put a number on what they're expecting. Like, you know, clients probably know what their salary is, but they don't necessarily know, like, what would giving up the next two years of equity vests mean for me? And so we can sort of put a number on that and say, okay, well, that's what you can take to your prospective employer, and can they match it? And we've had some, some clients be very successful sort of getting a match because they're joining a company that may have a very different compensation structure. Absolutely. Well, I'd like to kind of wrap up with just a couple points that are specific to the technology sector and some of the clients that you often work with. What are you, are you seeing any trends um, coming through 2020 with the pandemic? Any shifts in terms of preferences? Um, in terms of life preferences? Or? Yeah, or just, you know, <laughs> decisions people are making. Are they going in, to Sonoma to get that second home or or maybe Tahoe? or? Um, it has been an interesting year. Uh, first of all, the challenges specific to the technology industry employees we work with are challenges that a lot of America would be happy to have, right? Like, first they are mostly we, most of our folks are employed, they have jobs, they are very able to work from home. In fact, the tech companies in the Bay Area were, were really instrumental, I think, in um, keeping our caseload as low as it was. Uh, it was really the very, very beginning of March when all the big employers told their employees, go home, work from home, tell us if you need special equipment, you know. Um, they were far ahead of the curve and they've been great. Um, so they, a lot of them have been home. They're discovering whether or not they have a, a place they can work in their house. <laughs> um, some of them have, I would say that we had a few people who were considering leaving um, California or leaving the Bay Area, and they were already kind of on the fence, and this may have sort of pushed them to make a decision. I've had a little of that too. 
Yeah. In fact, uh, um, my sister had relocated to California within the last 12 months and has already purchased a house um, back in Colorado. So, Yes, but we've had a lot of different forces buffeting us. At first, it seemed like you wanted to be in the country, right? You wanted to be outside the city. And then we had a bad and surprisingly early fire season mm-hmm. starting in mid-August. And that really changed the calculus a little bit. Um, and so I think you know, in general, California was a good place and Northern California was a good place to be riding out the pandemic. Um, I think in general, mostly what we're hearing is people are sort of staying put for now and kind of, you know, there's a little bit of watchful waiting going on. We'll, we'll see what happens in six months and a year, like how the workforce, how the workplace looks different. Um, and, at that point, we might have people making different decisions. But I would say for now, people are, for the most part, staying home and facing the same challenges that, you know, again, for someone that's 30-something, 40-something, 50s, uh, a lot of them have the exact same challenges that every parent in America has right now. <laughs> yes. Zoom first grade, I can tell you, is an interesting, um, interesting to listen into. Um, and, you know, that I think that not only clients in your area, but in general, people that did have a solid financial plan really entered the pandemic with a a little bit of a secret weapon in terms of a good financial planner um, and certified financial planning process um, as both of our firms here adhere to really is built to be resilient and flexible and is um, a way for you to have at least a, what if something goes wrong, um, yes. at least a, a first defense. So, um, you know, I'm observing that as well. I think the advantage for me is sitting in Michigan, in a small town in Michigan, um, outside of a, um, you know, a, a small city, Ann Arbor, um, I'm able to, people are already comfortable, especially on um East and West Coast, working with someone remotely, but even more so today. So um, it's it's fun because I can do some of the work that I love, which is in these topics and areas um, with people in the places where you know you're receiving that equity compensation. So I've enjoyed that. Yeah. Well, Rachel, it's always good to have an excuse to chat with you. And um, I just really appreciate you. We've been conference buddies in the past. And whenever we're in the same location, we try to say hi. Um, And more recently, it's been a couple Zoom calls. So I just appreciate you in general. I'm so glad that you made the career transition to becoming a financial planner. And I can't wait to hear about that CFP exam that's coming up. Yay! Um, I am so, I've been very fortunate uh, in this process of having a lot of really amazing mentors and advisors. And you have absolutely helped me sort of make decisions along the way. So, (laughs) Well, thanks for being a guest. Have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. You can access our first two seasons of this podcast on our website at www.pearlplan.com or on Spotify. If you're interested in learning more about Pearl Planning, feel free to sign up for our newsletter also found on our website.